0: Again, that's Matthew five twenty seven through thirty two, on page six hundred eighty four of some of your pew Bibles. You have heard that it was said, "You shall not commit adultery," but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful, lustfully. Has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. May God bless his word.
1: Before I share from the Word of God with you today, I want to apologize because last week I forgot to bring the candy bars for all those of you who took my challenge to read through 1 Peter. So I'm not going to hand them out now, but just want to see the hands. I want to make sure I bought enough. Um, raise your hand if you if you read all the way through 1 Peter like I asked and you didn't get a candy bar last week. Okay, one, two, uh, anybody else? Some of you are raising your hands because you want a candy bar. Now, God sees it if you're lying, okay? Um, And you figured out that I have more candy bars than people who raise their hands. Okay, so, thank you very much. You can get one at the end of the service. Um, I do take my words seriously when I give a challenge like that. I apologize for last week. Um, There are three subjects that preachers do not like preaching on and you won't hear preached on very often. Now, see if you can guess what the three are. Okay, yes. um, Adultery, uh, sexual immorality, that's certainly one of them. What's one of the other ones? Okay. um, I'm hearing some interesting responses. uh, (laughs) Uh, Well, hell is one of those things. Um, Sexual lust is one of those topics And sexual immorality And the other one is money Now, it's very interesting in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus speaks about all of those things Money, sexual immorality and lust And also hell And sometimes he speaks about two of those topics in the same passage And in our passage today, we have two of the three So I am aware that these are topics that are not usually discussed And I'm also aware that Jesus is. Uh, words in the Sermon on the Mount as well as my message is rated somewhere between PG-13 and R. So I'm giving you a heads up right now that if this is something that you don't want your um, age 13 and below child to listen to that if you take this time to walk out of the service I will take no offense. I'm going to try and be as discreet and as uh, careful as possible when handling what is a very mature theme from our passage today. Um, Look with me at the passage that we've just read. It's in a context of the Sermon of the Mount where Jesus is talking about how the Pharisees have misunderstood the law of God. They've misunderstood it in its application. They've misunderstood how broad the commandment is. And they have instead uh, exchanged the law of God for what are... Men's or mankind or humankind's understandings of different rules that don't rise to the level of the scriptural command. So, throughout this passage, and we saw last week, Jesus says, You have heard it said, but I say to you. And here we have another one of those in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already In his heart. Notice with me on my outline what my first uh, point is, and it comes not only from this passage but our passage last week, and it is simply this: that sin in your heart is as serious before God as sin in your actions. Now that's a general principle, but I think it holds true through what we saw about murder and anger last week, as well as what we see in this passage today. That sin in your heart is as serious, and notice I said, is as serious before God as sin in your actions. Now, when you see what Jesus says in this passage, it raises some questions in your mind. Because in this passage, he's clearly saying that people who have looked um, upon a woman to lust for her in their heart, that they've already committed adultery in their hearts. So, if looking at someone to lust after them is equivalent to adultery already in their heart, does that mean that, in this instance, spouses, um, wives who have husbands who have looked upon another woman to lust after her, that they have biblical grounds for divorce because of adultery? Jesus goes on in the passage to say um, that, that adultery is clearly a legitimate grounds for divorce. Well, notice in this passage... Jesus is distinguishing between adultery in action and adultery in the heart. And what he's doing in this passage is he's not saying that to all of us who struggle with sexual lust in in our lives that then we can never be married because we'll never be perfect. Um, He's not saying that. He's saying instead to the people who felt like in not committing the letter of the law of adultery that they were fulfilling the commandment of God. Jesus' intent throughout this sermon is to show us that the commandments of God are so broad and sin in our heart is such a prevalent reality that there's no way that we can rise to it you can think of this section uh, of scripture as Jesus is showing us all that we do not obey the law of God at least in our hearts you have heard that it that it was said you shall not commit murder and he who commits Murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that whoever is angry against their brother is guilty as well. So my point that that I'm trying to make is throughout this passage, you read it and you come away from it. And if you think anything other than, oh, I am a sinner, then you've missed one of the main points of the passage. The Apostle Paul says this. Speaking of his own conversion experience and his own encounter with the law of God, he says in the book of Romans that he would not have come to know sin personally to know that he was a sinner except for the fact that the law has said you shall not covet. In other words, you shall not desire something that you shouldn't be desiring. Now, the law says you shouldn't desire your, your uh, neighbor's wife, your neighbor's um, property, What Whatever your neighbor has, that's what the law of God says. And here, uh, Jesus definitely has that application in mind when he's talking about not desiring someone else's wife. But Paul says, this is what caused me to realize I was a sinner. So I ask you all today to consider, as you face this passage, do you feel like a sinner? I know many of you have not committed adultery, and I praise God for that. Some of you were too young to commit adultery. Um, Some of you uh, are too faithful to your spouses to have committed adultery. But can we not all say honestly that we struggle against what Jesus says in this passage? I have several observations that I'd like to make before I make some more pointed applications. My, My first observation is if you'll notice in this passage, Jesus is speaking to Pharisees and he's speaking to men. He's speaking to married men as well. So does this passage have nothing to say to singles? No, it does have something to say to singles, and it does um, have something to say to, uh, to all who are not married, um, and it has a broader application to men and women. But I want you to see clearly that Jesus is speaking to men. And you have to ask yourself, why is that important? And the reason why that's important is because if, if you consider... What are our sin patterns? Men would probably say that one of the number one sins that they struggle with is sexual lust. Women might say that they struggle with something else. I've had many women in China, for for example, say that what they struggle with is um, gossip or respecting their husbands, especially if their husbands are non-Christians. But I think when you ask men, it doesn't matter if you're asking American men, or if you ask men in China, or if you ask men around the world, they'll say that, sexual lust is an an issue. One time I was preaching at Friendship Presbyterian Church in Taipei, and as I like to do, I haven't done it here because it's hard to do, I liked to stand in the back of the church because we had only one door that people could exit, and then I'd shake hands with everybody on the way out, and everybody would be like, oh, great sermon, pastor, and I'm thinking, okay, really? So, was it really? So I decided one day that I was going to um, ask people a pointed question. So I asked all the men in the congregation who walked out that day as they shook my hand and looked at me and said, great sermon, pastor. I asked them this question. I said, have you downloaded Internet porn in the last week? And I asked everybody um, in every man in the congregation that. And, you know, i got people looking at me like, where did that come from? And why are you asking me that, buddy? And 70 percent, 70 percent of the men said yes. The other thirty percent were lying because their wives were standing next to them. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but but the point I'm making is is that illustration demonstrates not only what a problem this is for men, but what a problem this is for men in the church. Um, so what do we do with with this problem? I want to, I want you to see clearly. This is interesting. Jesus is talking to married men about not committing adultery. If you're married and you have sexual relations with someone else, then it's called adultery. Jesus says if you look at someone else to lust after them in your heart, it's considered adultery. But what I want you to realize is, is what Jesus is not condemning and what the Bible does not condemn is legitimate sexual desire in the context of the covenant commitment of marriage. In fact, it's seen as a holy thing. You read through the Proverbs. And you read some really like X-rated Proverbs, for example. Um, you you read about how men need to be satisfied always with the breasts of their wives. Now, you're not used to hearing that verse quoted in um, in in the church. And then you read through Song of Solomon and you see a language that is celebrating physical and sexual love in the context of the covenant commitment of marriage. So Jesus is not condemning men for having sexual desire, per se. Listen to what I'm saying. He's not condemning men for having sexual desire. He's condemning a sinful expression of it or a sinful manifestation of it. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that to hopefully take the guilt trip off of a lot of you guys who are not married at this point, who are feeling like you're a big bad sinner because you think about sex and you um, want to get married. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he speaks directly to this. I didn't come up with this on my own. I got this from Paul. Turn to 1 Corinthians 7. I want you to see something. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is specifically addressing questions that the Corinthians had asked him about, is it okay to get married? Or is it better for us just to stay away from sex and not get married? And... uh, isn't it better if we're married sometimes to not have sex? So with all these kinds of questions in mind, um, he, he writes in 1 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 7. Now, I've got to switch my Bible version from the New American Standard that I've been preaching from um, to the New International. Give, give me just a second. They, they changed the app, and it's not... Um, Functioning as well before, so here we go. I've got every version on the planet, uh, New International. There we go. Okay, look at First Corinthians seven one. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Well, why on earth would he ever say something like that? Um, well, he's dealing with a context of immorality. And that's what he's talking about. And we know this because of what he says in verse 2. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. That's what Jesus is saying in our passage today. And each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Now, I'll, I'll deal with that passage in a minute, but let, let me move on um, Verse 8, now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do, or as I am, Paul is saying. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So in this passage, when Paul is saying, if you struggle with sexual immorality, the way to deal with it is, is to get married and have sexual relations in the context uh, of marriage, he then is saying to people who are not married that you 're not this bad person, you 're not this horrible sinner because you 're thinking about sex maybe 20, 28 out of 24 hours a- a- out of the day. he 's instead saying um, it 's better to marry than to burn with passion. God has given us the, the context of covenantal marriage in order to be able to express our sexual desire. I do a lot of premarital and marriage counseling. And when I was in Taiwan, especially, I did an awful lot of it. And one time I was counseling this couple. The man had finished seminary. He was over in Taiwan. He was studying to be a pastor. He was a good old all-American boy from the, from the Midwest. Real wholesome guy. Never said anything inappropriate. I, I just thought he was one of the... Most wonderful people I ever knew, and he's marrying a Taiwanese woman who I felt like was a little bit naive um, so we got into the context of these type of passages um, and the verses i didn't read earlier from verse three to seven in this passage and we were discussing it in the context of our premarital counseling and so i said said to the uh, to his fiance um, I looked at her and i 'll just call her Janie her name's not janie, but i 'll say I'll, let's just say your name is Janie. I said, Janie, you need to realize something. The man you're about to marry thinks about having sex 28 out of 24 hours out of the day. She looks at me like that. And she looks over at her fiancé and she says, Honey, you're not like that, are you? And he gets all red and you could just see him. And he turns beet red and he says, like that and says, "Yes, I am." And I said, "See, that's what I want you to understand before you get married, Because if you don't understand, then you end up falling into the sin that Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians seven of people depriving one another in marriage and not um, fulfilling the sexual needs of their spouse in the context of marriage. Because a lot of people just don't realize how important it is on another marriage counseling situation that I had. This one was between two American friends of mine that I had known for, for a very long time. And we were we were counseling and um, the woman felt, uh, the wife felt like that one time a month of having relations with her husband was enough. And I was trying to point out to her, no, it's not. And when you read this and, and read how Paul says to prevent sexual immorality, let each man have his wife, let each wife have her have her husband, because a husband does not have authority over his body but the wife. The wife does not have authority over her body but the husband. That's what the Word of God says. And she still felt like, well, once a month is okay. Well, what happened was is they got divorced six months later. It was very sad. The marriage was not able to be um, reclaimed because people would not take seriously what the Scripture said about it. So my first observation is that Jesus is, is addressing men who are married and saying, you have a wife, do not lust after someone else's wife. The next thing I want you to see, let's, let's move back quickly to, to the passage, and I'm going to flip back to the New American Standard if I can get my app to work properly um, New American Standard. We're running back to Matthew 5 as quick, quickly as we... Oops. That's Bahasa, Indonesia. That's not working for me right now. Hang on a minute. Um, when you go back to Matthew t- chapter 5, well, one of the things that you'll see immediately is is that Jesus is saying that the avenue of lust for those who struggle with it is through the eyes and the right hand. And he makes this drastic statement. He says that if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. So the question I ask you is, is this exactly what Jesus meant? Did he mean what he said and say what he meant? So that he actually wants people who struggle with lust to pluck out their eyes and to cut off their hands. Well, here's my comment. I think what he is sharing with us is a broader principle, and it comes in my outline, is that God wants you to take drastic measures to avoid adulterous lust. God wants you to take drastic measures to avoid adulterous lust. And so he gives this example that he gives. And here's why I don't think he actually meant cut off your hand and pluck out your eye. Because, let me ask you guys, if you pluck out your right eye, have you dealt with lust, yes or no? No, right. You would have to pluck out the other eye and then you 'd have to pluck out your brain because your brain thinks about things so the the point is is that Jesus is not um, he 's not actually saying pluck out your eye, cut off your hand. He's pointing out, though, that we have to take it a lot more seriously than we do. Why? Because he's saying people's eternal destinies is at stake as to whether or not they repented of this sin and the many other sins as well. So he wants us to take drastic measures to avoid adulterous lust. Um, what about you? How many of you are taking drastic measures to deal with, with your propensity towards sexual sin in whatever um, avenue it might be. Uh, When I lived in Taiwan, we had cable TV and... Some nights and, and the, the cable porn was free in Taiwan. I have no idea why, why it was. But when they first put porn on the TV, I would find myself sometimes, you know, going through the channels really quick and like pausing on that one for a few seconds and then going on. But when that became a little bit something more than just a quick go through all the channels to see what the news is, I went to one of my best friends in Taiwan. and I said, you need to pray for me um, because I'm doing this with the channel flip. Well, are you willing to humble yourself and go to someone else and say, Hey, I'm struggling with this and you need to pray for me. The big issue now is not so much the cable TV. That was, you know, pre-smartphone days. The issue today is the smartphone. Are some of you guys willing to trade in your Samsung S8 Plus? Or if you get the new one, the Samsung S8 Note. Or if you're back in the days of the dinosaurs, your Samsung um, S7 or S6 or your iPhone 5 um, or your iPhone 6 or your iPhone 7 or I think there's a 7 Plus. Are you willing to take your smartphone and exchange it in for a non-smartphone if you're spending too much time looking at porn on your smartphone? Yes or no? Are we going to take seriously that Jesus wants us to take drastic measures to deal with adulterous lust. Um, I have friends that I talk to on a weekly basis, and they ask me all kinds of very difficult questions, and I can't sort of skim out of it and and start talking about the weather or how much I love all the food in Boston. I can't do that. Um, They want to ask me specific pointed questions to make sure that Pastor Tim is practicing what he preaches. So I'm challenging you as a congregation, how can we help one another so that we take this issue as seriously as Jesus does? In our nation and in our country today, they don't take sexual immorality seriously. You expect it. You expect people going off to college to shack up with their girlfriends or their boyfriends. You expect people to be indulging. In sexual immorality. But in the kingdom of God and in the fellowship of the church, what is expected of us is a holiness that pleases God. And what that holiness is, is this. Sexual relations are reserved for one area, which is marriage. And one context, which is covenant commitment. So I'm concerned um, about this, that we're not taking it quite as seriously seriously. As the, the Lord says we should notice something else look at the third point on my outline It's not simply that sin in your heart is as serious before God as sin um, in your actions It's not simply that God wants you to take drastic measures to avoid adulterous lust It's this It's that unrepentant sin has eternal consequences There's a reason for it and Jesus focuses in on that reason Um, In that passage, now hang on a second, I'm going to hit the button and get back where I need to be. Um, My eyes are very bad, so I cannot read a regular Bible. I can only read a lit up screen. And on days like today, it's not working for me. Okay, so back in, in the passage, what I want you to see is that Jesus says in the end of verse 29 that it's better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus speaks in the sermon on the mount as hell is being a reality, a reality for who? Unrepented sinners. And that's what he's trying to get our attention with. But I want you to think about something else. It's not just this sin, it's other sins. Earlier, he talks about anger as also being as culpable as well notice if you if you have your bibles um, and you look earlier in in the passage if you say to someone raka or if you say to someone you fool they shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell oh this is interesting my careless words can send me to hell just as bad as my adulterous lust or my adulterous actions do you think of your life that way What I'm trying to get you all to see is that when it comes to the law of God, there is a very huge standard that none of us rise up to, but any one of the commandments in failing to keep them could send us all to hell. Unless we repent. So Jesus is pointing out in this passage, connected to anger, unrepentant anger, connected to sexual immorality and sexual lust, that it has eternal consequences. And that is very, very serious. Notice something else. uh, The fourth point on my outline. That Jesus does not want people to divorce without biblical cause or you put others in a potentially dangerous, a potentially adulterous situation. So in this passage, we see that there is a biblical cause, a biblical justifiable reason for getting a divorce. In this passage, it's adultery the action of adultery. So then someone says to me, but wait a second, Pastor Tim, what if my spouse is addicted to internet porn? Isn't that enough grounds for for a biblical divorce? That's a tricky question. And what you have to consider is, is, is a person's struggle with sexual lust affecting their covenantal obligations with their spouse? And if the answer to that is yes, then their lust could be grounds, biblical grounds, for, uh, for divorce on the, on the grounds of adultery or on the grounds of desertion that Paul brings up in 1 Corinthians 7 when he says that the unbeliever desires to leave, let him leave. And then he tells that person they are free, who's left in the home after their spouse has left them, that they are free to marry again, but only in the Lord. So my point is, is that when we come to the Scripture and the matter of divorce, Jesus says... It's allowable for adultery. Paul says it's allowable for desertion. I'm saying, put the two together, if someone is addicted to internet porn to the point that they're not um, fulfilling their covenantal obligations to their spouse, then that becomes both a combination of of adulterous lust plus the sin of desertion. And therefore, in those instances, it might be appropriate if there is no repentance, of course, for the spouses to divorce. So in this passage, what we're seeing is Jesus is dealing with the commandment. You have heard that it is said, do not commit adultery. And he's broadening the application of the commandment to include sinful lust. He's broadening, broadening it to, uh, to also involve people who get divorced from the wrong, for the wrong reasons. Why? Because when they get divorced for the wrong reasons, then they put this spouse that they have divorced, and the person who would marry their spouse after after they've gotten a divorce, in a potentially adulterous situation. Now, that is extremely interesting. Look at that. And it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity or immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay. See what Jesus is doing? Now he's making the person who sinfully divorced their spouse guilty of the sin that their divorced spouse might commit if they get remarried. And the sin of the person who marries them. What's the point I'm making? The point I'm making is is that your individual sin affects more than just you. Especially in the matter of a broken marriage. And this is why we have to take this so seriously and call out to God for grace upon grace to help us so that we will not fall in to these sins. And we will repent of the sins of our hearts so that we will not find ourselves in a situation of wanting to commit a divorce or divorcing sinfully. So then some people ask me, "Okay, Pastor Tim, what if my spouse commits sexual immorality, but then they repent Well, if they repent, you have the option of staying with them and continuing to be married to them. But if they do not repent, you have no other option but to divorce them. I dealt with this constantly in Taiwan because there's a shame factor connected to to divorce. It's like, well, your marriage failed and you're equally responsible. Well, sure, there's always sin on both parts, but... If a spouse commits sexual immorality and won't repent, then you can say that that's the offending spouse and the other one is, in a sense, the innocent spouse. But because divorce itself has a shame factor attached to it, I knew women who allowed their husbands to continue to commit sexual immorality and then stayed married with them. And I'm like, you can't do that. Because if you do that, you're dumbing down the the standards of the law of God. You're reducing marriage from being a holy covenant commitment. And you're saying, it's okay for me to be sinned against in this way. It's not okay. It's not okay. If your spouse repents, you have the option of forgiveness, reconciliation, and the marriage continuing. If the spouse does not repent, you need to get a divorce upon the the reason and the biblical justifiable ground of their committing sexual immorality of adultery, so these are very 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 serious um, things that Jesus is bringing to our attention. So now, what do we do with it? Well, what we what we do with What we do with it is what we do with every passage of the scripture. We view it in light of what Jesus has come into the world to do and what the resources of the gospel are to help us in the midst of our situation. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible is 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Because in that passage, Paul is talking to people Uh, who have it wrong about the idea of sin. They're thinking it's okay. And Paul says, no, it's not okay. Don't be deceived. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, don't be deceived. Neither this person nor that person, neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor effeminate nor homosexuals nor the covetous nor slanderers. None of those kinds of people can enter into the kingdom of God. But then he says something that gives me hope and ought to give all of us hope here today. You know what he says? He says, and such were some of you. The amazing thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it washes us not only from our actual sins, but from our position of being seen as a sinner, sinner in the sight of a holy God. And so Paul reminds the Corinthians, hey, look, you can't say that sin is okay. Weren't you washed of it? Didn't Christ forgive you? Were you not justified, sanctified? By our Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. My point, brothers and sisters, is that there's hope. There's hope for all of you who have committed any sin, not simply sexual sin or you're struggling with the sin of adulterous lust. There's hope for us all because the power of Jesus Christ washes away our sins. But not only does it wash away our sins in the sight of God, it gives us grace and power in our lives to say no to sin. And that is something we're going to spend an entire Sunday school class um, devoted to in the fall of talking about. I'm starting a new Sunday school class uh, with the help of Patek and Chris and Pastor David. And the Sunday school class is going to be on the dynamics of spiritual life. And one of the things we're going to deal with in the first few weeks is, is how what Jesus has done gives us the grace not to fall into the sin. So the amazing thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it not only forgives us, it doesn't leave us in our sins. There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ for us to say no to sin, to walk away from our lust, and to do so honestly before a living God and a living Savior who loves us. Jesus loves us. Do you feel that way today? That Jesus loves you? That He's forgiven your sins. That He can wash away your guilt, the guilt that you carry around, the guilt that you actually have in the sight of a holy God. That He can wash that away the moment you say, "Yes, Lord, I believe." I thank You for the sacrifice You made for me on the cross. I praise You for the resurrection power that gives me hope that I don't have to fall in to that sin anymore. Let me be absolutely clear what I've said and what I haven't said. What I've said. Is that all of us, Christian, non-Christian, married, single, all will struggle with sexual lust, especially men. But what else have I said? I've said that Christ forgives us and Christ gives us the power to live in holiness and to walk in newness of life. That's what the gospel says. That's how the gospel addresses a very important subject that we have to deal with in the context of the Word of God. So let us thank the Lord and let us pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you not only show us the depths of our sin, you died to bring us the power to overcome it. And so I pray today, Lord, that we would walk out of this church not feeling the weight of our sin and the reality of our temptation plaguing us in our conscience and troubling us in our times of being alone. But I pray we would walk out of this Congregation today, encouraged in your love, secure in your forgiveness, and given hope by the promises of the gospel. Lord, thank you for dealing with us in this loving, merciful, yet honest way. Give us the grace, Lord, as a congregation to help one another in our struggle against this sin and other sins as well. And help us to take seriously the reality of our spiritual lives and the eternal consequences of not paying attention to your word and taking you seriously. Lord, give us the grace to balance these things, but most of all today, to see you for who you are, a great and a wonderful Savior. So today, Jesus, we pray in your name and we praise you in your name. Amen.